0: are listening to Pastor Ben Echol of Calvary Chapel, Keweenaw Peninsula in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Tune in each week as Pastor Ben teaches through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, or watch us live on Sunday mornings at 1130 a.m. Eastern time on our Facebook page. You can access our library of teachings at www.cckeweenaw.com. Second Kings 16, we're going to talk about a guy named Ahaz. Ahaz is like going to be the worst king ever at this point. Like, you think it gets bad each week? Like, it always gets worse. Like, we're pretty much just shy of God going, hey, we're going to judge this stinking nation. Like, it's, it's just not getting better. The idolatry is never getting eradicated 100%, right? A little bit, right? What, what does Jesus say? A little bit of leavening ruins the whole lot. Verse 1, it says, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramallah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Now, what's important for us with this timestamp stamp is this is the beginning of the prophet Isaiah's ministry to Judah. We're going to see Micah is also going to appear on the scene as well. And you're going to see Judah, or rather, um, Isaiah is going to... Um, Try to speak truth to Ahaz. God's never without his witness. Whether or not people listen to the prophet, whether or not people listen to us, that's on them. But God is never going to hear on judgment day, hey, you didn't have a chance, right? Ahaz, verse 2, 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. So Israel picked up the bad habits of the nations around them. When they came, Joshua brings them into the promised land. They fight for seven years to dispossess the inhabitants, the Canaanites, and the Canaanites are wicked. Remember what God told Joshua, kill them all, right? Kill them all let God sort them out. It was at a point of judgment where God had to raise someone up to deal with the filth and the vulgarity of the Canaanites. Right? We've gone to the museums over in Jerusalem, and they show you what they've dug up in the Canaanite sites. Okay? They were sexually perverted. They were rampant with sexually transmitted diseases, and they were practicing child sacrifice. Wow, you know any nations like that now? I heard California is kind of like this. but <laughs> they, were, they were acting like the people around them. And the, the whole time they were supposed to be following the ways of God. But the leadership is indicted, right? Ahaz is on trial here. You're going to find the priesthood wasn't much better, okay? We're going to see what led to some of this or why they couldn't get rid of it. You know, as leadership, our example is far more important than oftentimes what we say, right? People follow our example, and he never quite eradicated. Well, he didn't even make any attempt to get rid of the idolatry. It says he made his children pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. This is their form of infanticide. We call it abortion, right? Abortion's America's national sin. How many children have been aborted legally since 1973? Millions. 70 million, they say. That's recorded. We don't know the back alley abortions. We don't know the ones that weren't reported, so on and so forth. You know, it's ironic. We had a local college closed down this week because they're citing there's no high school graduates to replenish the colleges anymore. Well, I would estimate if we sacrifice 750,000 to 1 million babies a year in abortion, how many of those kids could have gone to college? Right? And it's, it's often the liberal college professors that promote this Right? it's kind of ironic they it's like how toys are us and babies are us support Planned Parenthood if I was a toy manufacturer I wouldn't do that you know it just this is how backwards our country is okay in God's eyes abortion is murder for the record a life begins at conception right it does a baby doesn't magically start living when it comes out of the birth canal if you don't know what a birth canal is ask one of the Ask Brianna. You'll, you'll explain it, right? <laughs> That's why I, This is why I preach here. I mean, they wouldn't let me at a real church. So, not to minimize the sin. This is a gross sin. Um, but he participated in this child sacrifice. So this is the way it worked, is they would forge these bronze or iron statues, and they would... They would have it. They were either hollow or they sat on a fire and they'd get them glowing red hot. And they had arms that once these statues were hot, they would place the babies on these arms to incinerate. Okay? Now, this was to ensure blessing and prosperity on the home. This is, this is so that you can conveniently get rid of a liability. Right? Kids are a liability in our country, aren't they? When no one, what's the first thing people talk about with kids? How much do they cost? Right? If you have kids... Right, you didn't have kids for free time and extra money, right? I'm glad my kid just switched off baby formula. I went up and bought a van because I don't have to pay for baby formula anymore, right? The cost of baby formula is like a car payment, right? It's expensive, right? You got a little kid, right? You know, it's like these quit eating. Stop. You ate yesterday. We don't need you to eat anymore. When they're not eating, they're eating. Man, But that's not the way the Lord sees it. <coughs> they're a gift of God. So he was participating in this infant sacrifice. And you've got to understand, this, this is also tied into the other forms of paganism, right? Their paganism was very sexual, right? They had a lot of, lot of sexual deviancy. They had a lot of priestesses that would come and have sex for their worship, sacri- or their work, worship events. And so when you have lots of sexual activity, chances are children come about, okay? ever wonder how that happens ask Brianna she'll explain that to you right (laughs) Um, you too right you too no don't even ask about babies you can't all right boys have cooties girls have germs okay that's all you need to know about that okay our teen ministry right there so so with all this sexual immorality going on in the nation of Israel, children were a byproduct and of course these children were unwanted. They're viewed as inconvenient. They're they were viewed as 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 being a liability. And so of course they had to create a form of worship that they could get rid of these unwanted children. And this is where Baal and Molech and so on and so forth. They've come about different names, but the, the 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 concept is essentially the same thing. It came down to Getting rid of the children just ensured prosperity and pleasure. Verse 4 says, And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Now we've talked about, in, in one regard, the high places are the unconfessed or private sins that you don't think anybody's paying attention to. But the high places also represented a place of convenience, right? Where were they supposed to go and worship God? In the temple in Jerusalem. That's where they were supposed to perform their act of worship. And so what was happening in this idolatry is they would burn incense in these groves, and these high places, but this was not according to the commandment of God, okay? So these these high places saved you a trip. Why drive all the way to church when I could stay home and watch it on Facebook? It's so much cleaner, right? The coffee's better. I can stay in my pajamas. I don't have to deal with people that aren't like me, right? I don't have to pick up my mess. I don't have to stack chairs. It's convenient to stay home and watch church on Facebook, right? Well, it's worse than that. Man... Is always trying to accommodate people. Worship it then becomes entertainment. Okay, we were talking about this this morning a little bit. We put talented people rather than anointed people in worship positions because it's attractional. Bible studies become positive and encouraging, right? They don't teach the warnings and the admonitions and and the the don'ts of the Bible, right? It becomes it becomes. Kind of a fluffy feel good type thing. We call them the 2020 sermons 20 feet or 20 minutes, right? Churches use the snap fitness business model, right? <laughs> you can't get hurt, everything's comfortable, everything's quiet, everything's predictable, and then you get pizza on Friday, you know? And people will buy those memberships all day long. But churches like to lure people in to worship God, right? Whatever they use to attract people is what keeps people. You know, you ask people, why do you go to the church you go to? Oh, the seating's nice. It's comfortable in there. Oh, the coffee's good. We use brand name coffee, right? Uh, what's that one comedian, Tim Hawkins? He says, here's the church code. When they say, oh, our worship team's great. That means the message stinks. <laughs> you look at some of these, these these churches, they have a Sunday morning rock concert, you know. Service gets exchanged for the term serve us. We pretty much allow church to become a restaurant, right? A church should really be more like a lighthouse or a life-saving station on a beach, right? You want a lifeguard on duty watching and warning people. You you want people that are going to be coming dragged out of the water who've just been drowning, and you want to resuscitate them. But the problem with that is it's messy, and and people don't like messy. Right. Church should look messy. Right. What's the proverb say? Uh, A barn without oxen has has clean stalls. Right. You don't want sterile. You want messy people. You want people dealing with sin issues. You want people repenting. You want people in your business. You want to be involved with messy people. You want people to inconvenience you. You want all that because you and I need to love unlovable people and unlovable people need love. Right. And eventually they'll get raised up and trained up just like our windows say reach, teach, mend and send. You're going to find terms within churches. They'll use terms like seeker-friendly or emergent church. They're just using Fortune 500 business tactics to draw people in. I'm, I'm dead serious, right? We've, there's books out there written on this where it all comes back to marketing strategies, right? People ask me why I started a church in Laurium, Calumet, because there's no tithing potential in this community. Everybody's broken on welfare. That's where I wanted to go. But you notice, like, the big churches are always by the big box stores, That's by design, you know, the churches. But, you know, a sad thing to say, since the Internet has played into church culture, church attendance has lowered. It's convenient, you know. I watch all my favorite teachers because they're out of state, but there's no substitute for real-life corporate worship. God reveals himself in a way he doesn't reveal himself without a corporate gathering. Well, they had this religion of convenience. David made a statement once. You don't need to go there, but it's in 2 Samuel. I'll just read it for us. It's in chapter 24, and it says, And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebezite, so David, according to the word of Gad, went up to the Lord went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Aruna went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Aruna said, Why has my Lord the king come to this servant? Or come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these King Aruna has given to the king. Excuse me, all these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the ox for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Egypt. So this is the history of Jerusalem. This is where David buys the threshing floor to build the temple. This is the very area they're neglecting to go and worship. You understand? David bought this for them to worship God appropriately to lift this plague that was upon the land. And now it's in, it's, it's in neglect. But notice what he says. He says, Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. Right? The Bible's very clear. What costs me nothing is worth nothing to me. Okay? Your walk with God is will cost you time, talent, and treasure. It will cost you you. See, the, the Bible tells us we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. As much as God has given us free will, he expects us to bring our will into subjection to his perfect and pleasing will. And he desires for you to worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. God, God prescribes how you worship to him. Right. He, he tells you where. He tells you when. He tells you how. It's all outlined in the Bible because God is good and he's perfect and he knows what's best for us. A gift is always measured by what it costs the worshiper. You guys know this story in Luke 21 where they're at the temple and there's this, this, this lady there. We'll read it here. It says, and he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the treasury. And he saw also a certain widow putting in two mites. So he said truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had See the widow was giving out of her poverty not her abundance The way God examines our sacrifice is how much did it cost us Right rich people can say oh yeah I just I wrote a big check to church I'm good well, God says it's not proportionate to what I've given you. And here's the thing. God's not broke. We're not talking in terms of money. We're talking in terms of motive and heart. Okay? He who has forgiven much forgives much. The idea is, how much has God done for you? Is that reflected in your life? The gospel is not cheap or convenient. It cost God his son. Right? God did not spare his very best, when Jesus went to the cross. That was the best thing he could offer us. You know, we are not our own, and we exist for God's pleasure. Some of you guys are probably thinking, oh, is God up there some cosmic, you know, what was the neighbor kid on uh, Toy Story? Remember him? If the toy fell into his yard. What was his name? Stuart? Sid. Sid. We, We sometimes think God's like Sid. Or he's going to take us and like do surgery on us. And, you know, that's that's not what I'm talking about. See, God is perfect. He created you for a plan and a purpose. And the, the number one purpose is, is for us to worship him. He's not looking to get anything out of us. He knows we're missing the component. We need something to worship. We all worship something, right? Anyone here have the internet? What does your browsing history show you? Cabela's, Home eBay, eBay Home Depot, right? We worship. We spend our time and our talent and treasure, right? Move the vape shop, bro. It's legal, right? <laughs> we're here to worship. We're worshipers. We all worship something. We do. Just just let's just, we were designed to do that. You know, it's, it's like I look at my, my BC life. I'm, I'm at a concert with my shirt off screaming, praise, hail, Satan, you know, at a Slayer show, but then I go to church, and I don't want to sing too loud at worship. I don't want to be called a fanatic. Bro, I was a fanatic for hell before Jesus, right? You know, I, I, I was. I was that guy, you know. <laughs> We're created to worship God, and as we submit to God, we can now then unlock what God has for us. You're going to find that purpose, meaning, and direction in your life. Jesus makes the bar real low. He says, The the best work, the, the perfect work I desire from you is to believe in the one who is sent. Just believe. Now, I don't want to talk about worship just in terms of singing and praising, and that's a component of it, but our whole life is an aspect of worship, isn't it? As we get up and we're going to serve someone today, is it going to be our flesh? Is it going to be hell or is it going to be Jesus? It's a dilemma all of us face every day. You know, in the Lord's Prayer... We're, we're, we're told to pray, not our will be done, but thy will be done. And you may find you're suffering with a lack of purpose, a lack of meaning, a lack of direction in your life. Maybe you're incredibly fearful. Maybe you're incredibly depressed. It's because you're not doing what you're called to do. You know, one of the things you can take when you, when you use the word fear, when you look in the Bible and you see the word fear where it says fear of the Lord, put in the word worship. Whatever you are afraid of is what you worship. Are you worried about what people think of you? Then you're then you're a people pleaser. You're worshiping people, right? Are you worried about what your boss thinks about? You're worried about you know, loss of food or income, whatever. That is your God. I hate to say it. But when you fear Jesus, you won't be afraid of anyone else. And so Ahaz lost his fear of God. Right? He even watched his dad. Right? His dad got leprosy because his dad offered a sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to. Rather, he went into the temple when he wasn't supposed to. He didn't watch that. Verse 5 it says Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah. From Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath and dwelt there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tilgath, Pelazar, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. (laughs) So imagine this. Say your, your utility bills are due. What do you do? You go get a credit card, and then you pay your utilities on your credit card. That's what he just did, right? He's reaching out to the arm of the flesh to deliver him from an impending enemy, okay? Let's let's not crack on him too much because we're like this. We're going to get to that. So what did he do? And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria heeded him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Kir and killed Rezin. So Ahaz becomes a vassal king to the Syrians. Okay, let's go back to what does the word Israel mean? Governed by God. You're in Jerusalem, right? This This is the place of peace right? And yet he's not utilizing, and we're going to get to, Isaiah's going to get into his business a little bit here. But I want you, Christian, to to not, before we crack on him, right? See, this guy's guilty of child sacrifice, just like you and I are as people. We sacrifice our children for what? Career, more free time, right? As a Marriage council, I always encourage the women to stay home to raise the kids rather than have a two-income home. Who who counts who counts your money better than you? Nobody. Who raises your kids better than you? Nobody. Why go and pay a daycare? Or, in my opinion, why why allow the public school system to raise your kids? Why do you send your kids to Caesar expecting them not to become Romans, right? The idea there is You've got to control that. And the thing is, is God has blessed you and given you these things. And so we have to be careful. Are we sacrificing our children for our personal ambitions? Right? We're to be sacrificial. We just covered this in parent class, right? The idea, you've got to sacrifice for your kids. Ensure that they're better off than you and do what's best for them. But also, too, so what he did is he became a vassal king to the Syrians. And this is how Christians do it. Oh, man, i got to work on Sunday. Well, why? Well, I'm in debt. Well, Why? Well, I live outside my means. Why? Well, it's because I don't trust the Lord. Then you're like, well, why don't you just not go to work on Sunday? Well, I got to work. Well, give God what He's due. Well, I can worship God wherever I want. I can watch it later on Facebook. I get that a lot. I'll just watch the message later. That's not what God's intending. He wants you to gather as a people, He wants you to spend time with one another. Be the body of Christ. He wants corporate worship. He enjoys that. He likes when all his kids gather together and love each other. It's the way God designed us. The other thing is, is then we take money that's designated for God, right? I teach on tithing, whether or not you believe that, that's you between you and God. But the idea is, is we can give away money that belongs to the Lord and we can spend it on other things. It's usually the first thing to go when a Christian hits a financial. Tough spot is they stop giving to God because then they've got to go and pay their credit card bills. And, you know, they finally get into this pattern where God kicks them in the wallet because they're being disobedient with their money and they're just eating their tail. And then they never allow God through the act of submission. And that's really what tithing is, is when you give money in the name of the Lord, it's you're trusting God's going to replenish it. So he's giving this money to this enemy vassal king, the Syrians. So God sends Isaiah. I like Isaiah. Isaiah gets to say some hard things. He didn't read the book, How to Make Friends and Influence People. We're going to read about that as I'm getting there. Turn to Isaiah 7. We'll go over what his message was. Essentially, Isaiah just came along and he just said, hey, just trust in the Lord. He didn't listen. He'd rather turn to the arm of the flesh. He would rather be a slave to a pagan king than to trust in God. He refuses to set himself under the authority of God. You know, none of us here have a sin issue, do we? What do we all have? Lordship issues. Yeah. What's our favorite prayer? No, Lord. Nope. Not going to do it your way. Because guess what? I'm smarter than you, God. Or I just don't want to do it your way. Talking with another bro this week. And I said, do you know why people like to stay depressed and anxious and worried? Is they're addicted to the feeling. They love feeling miserable, right? Some of you guys probably grew up in that teen cult being emo. You know, where you wear your sister's black pants and put her makeup on and part your hair funny. We call them goth in my age, you know. How do we go from like Peter Steele to like these little weenie guys? It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. The like golf guys used to beat you up at the clubs. Now they just um, stay home and cry. Anyways, I'm getting off tangent here. <laughs> he refuses to set himself under the authority of God. Isaiah 7. It says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, "Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the Fuller's Field and say to him, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of resident Syria and the son of Ramallah. Isn't that the hardest thing for God to tell us to do is be quiet. You know, you ever suffer in silence? No, nah, a bellyache. You know, ah! you know, like you see the war movies guys out on the beach getting shot. And they're all going, shh, shh, you know, it's because they're going to shoot you more, you know, like be quiet. And that's what he's he's telling, telling Ahaz, hey, just God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use it appropriately here. Just be quiet. Take heed. Verse five, because Syria and Ephraim and the son of Ramallah have plotted evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it. Let us make a gap in its walls for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tebel. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramallah's son. Underline this part. It says, If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established putting his thumb on the real issue he doesn't want to believe you know people don't believe for proof or lack of proof right you could take noah's ark and parade it down the main street in town here highway 41 it will not produce one iota of faith for people do you know why people don't want to believe in god because their deeds are evil they don't want to believe in god if you will not believe surely you shall not be established Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, right here, real easy. He says, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. He says, this is what God says, just ask, right? You don't take the treat. He gives the treat. (laughs) We do this with our pets, don't we? Right? It's a matter of submission. It's a matter of self-control. It's a matter of acknowledging that something greater than him exists. He's saying, you need to humble yourself, bruh, and ask God to fix your problems. No, but I'd rather like smudge some sedge, bruh. I got a crystal. I'll just pray to the crystal, bruh. It's a rock and a plant. That ain't going to die on the cross for your sins. No. He says, Ask. Just ask. That's all he says. Isn't that? So two two things that are the hardest thing for, especially men, right? Be quiet and ask. Anyone here child train? It's a picture of us, isn't it? You know? just We have to teach our daughter to just ask once because she asks 50 times. You know? Just ask once. Just, Just tell mommy and daddy what you need once. You don't have to ask a thousand times. Or don't take. That's the other thing. She'll just come up and take. No, no, no. You have to ask. Notice his response. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Speaking of Christ there. But notice how he says it. I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. False humility. I don't want to bug God with all my problems. He's so busy running the universe and making supernovas and black holes. I just, I'll figure my own problems out. You ever tell yourself that? I'll get myself out of this trap. (laughs) No, you won't. No, you won't. I'm the master of my own destiny. No, you're not. Your appetite is your master. All you had to do was ask. How would you like for eternity? You know the word of God is eternal. The gag reel in heaven is going to include this. I will not ask nor will I test the Lord. What does James tell us? You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss because you're going to spend it on your flesh. Verse 10. Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tilgweth, Pelazer, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest, the designer of the altar, and its pattern according to all its workmanship. So he goes to to Damascus, right? This is up in Syria, still there today. The pagan nations would carry a portable altar with them into war to obtain favor from their false gods. Right, they'd worship gods of war and so on and so forth. And because Ahaz was getting spanked by these foreign nations, he's going, "Oh, it's got to be their god and their altar. We need to bring this home. We need to bring the the tricks and the and the and the worldly methods into our relationship with God because that's the success. Churches do this all the time. He's fascinated by the worldly techniques of pagan worship." He's like, we need a smoke machine. We need a drum riser, right? We need more reverb, right? All these things, right? So what did he do? Let's build an altar like the pagans. 2 Chronicles 28 verse 23 tells us precisely why he did this. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which he, which had defeated him saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me, but they were in the ruin of him and all of Israel. Wow. Yesterday I was chatting with a friend, he talks to me about once a year and, uh, he, he was kind of joking. He was jesting. He says, hey, because we're planning on getting together, go get some food. He's like, well, if you were from this one particular theological camp, we could go out and get really expensive cigars and brandy and go get drunk. And I said, bro, that's what God delivered me from when I got saved. I said, I don't need to have a pompous theology to justify my liberty. I don't need to go back to what God has delivered me from, right? You know, in the style of ministry i was raised in and the principles that we use we've come to the conclusion that the way we build churches and develop ministries is the longest hardest way to do it okay you ever watch those 3 minute clips of the bodybuilders that are on facebook and you see how these dudes are just ripped and stacked you know how long it took for them to get like that yeah 10 15 years every day and then they talk about the food they eat when they they have no life they're dedicated and we think as christians we're going to have victory over sin immediately we're going to have strength we're going to have trust in god overnight and that's what happens when you get into a convenient method of god and you get into quick growth movements you know you you turn jesus into fast food that if things don't turn out in a certain time frame then it just doesn't work it takes time you need to develop roots you need to develop stability before any kind of fruit comes out of your life, and Ahaz didn't want that. He just wanted a quick fix. You know, a lot of churches put their trust in tools, techniques, and principles of worldly success. They think that the gods of Damascus will give them victory. This introduction of the altar of a heathen shrine into the Holy Temple of Jerusalem reminds us of the many rites and modern religious observances which have been borrowed from paganism. And warns us that the church has no right to go to the world for its methods and principles. Verse 11. Then Uriah, the priest, built an altar according to all the king Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah, the priest, made it before king Ahaz came before came back from Damascus. You know, this is a priest. Okay. He's supposed to be setting the religious tone regardless of what... The civic leaders are doing. If you read the narratives of like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God indicted the priests more than the kings. See, the buck is to stop with the pastors and the preachers of a nation. But what happens? We get in bed with certain political groups or we get into partisan affiliation. Be careful. of, Watch who surrounds themselves around certain leaders in our nation, in our country. Okay. Those leaders know how to pick the people out will tell them what they want to hear. Verse 12, And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. So he burned his burnt offering and his grain offering, and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offering on the altar. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the new altar, In the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side in a new alt of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great new altar burn the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice, and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering, their drink offerings, and sprinkle all the blood of the burnt offering, and all the blood of the sacrifice. And the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire. Thus Uriah the priest, according to all that King Ahaz commanded. Ooh. This isn't just a matter of taking the old fridge and putting it in the garage for the beer cooler, right? In Michigan, you don't even need a fridge in the, in the garage, right? You just, that's, your, that's the Michigan refrigerator. <laughs> Ahaz served as a priest at the altar of his own design. Since he created his own place of worship, it also made sense that he would disregard God's command that a king must not serve as a priest. Ahaz's grandfather, Azariah, dared to enter the temple and serve God as a priest. Yet at least Azariah falsely worshipped the true God. Ahaz falsely worshipped a false god of his own creation. Uzziah, for so doing, was smitten with leprosy, but Ahaz of a far worse disease And that was an incurable hardness of heart. He was falsely worshiping a false god of his own creation. You know, when we look at the origin of the calf worship, remember the golden calf worship that permeated Israel, they were worshiping, they had two great big golden statues of cows. And that's a throwback to, remember, when they came out of Egypt, they were worshiping, dancing around, getting drunk, naked, This golden calf. And it was not a different or new God. It was their own interpretation of Jehovah God. They were worshiping the provision, not the provider. They were worshiping a cow because cows, what? That's where steaks come from. Mm. You ever drive through Wisconsin and get hungry? Oh, you're like, ooh, those look good, right? Then there's milk. Then there's leather, right? There's a lot that the cow offers. It's a very versatile animal. You got glue, right? You got fertilizer, the whole package, everything's usable. Okay? And they worshiped it. Now, as you see, it was an object of their own creation. And now, because they were off just so slightly, it surmounts to this false worship to a false God. I wonder if God were to come into, let's just pick on the American lukewarm church, would he be happy? with what we're calling revival, right? Would he be happy with what's going on? When I've talked to people at church and they're like, oh yeah, I have a children's ministry leader. She lives with her boyfriend with four illegitimate children and she's teaching my kids about the Bible. Well, maybe she should go home and teach herself about the Bible before she teaches kids, right? Oh, we got this really talented guy on the worship team, but he won't clean the, <laughs> the sanctuary when he's done ministering or he won't talk to people. Yeah, you, you just have the church look just like the world. You know, the first step for worshiping God properly is what? You need to be born again. God's not going to accept worship from unregenerated people. We 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 can't even honestly worship God unless we're saved. Why would you worship God if you don't know what He's done for you? You know, I was I was forced into a religion growing up, right? The men wore robes and funny hats. Everyone anyone go to that church? Right? And nothing on mumble (laughs) wrappers. Right. Our archbishop was like the uh, DWI king of St. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> He'd have DTs on Sunday morning service. And we were supposed to follow this man's godly example. But we were forced to sit in worship, not knowing who we're worshiping or why. We just needed to go through the motions to make ourselves acceptable to God. That's what religion teaches us. Right. Just do something to make God happy with you. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about, look what God has done for you. right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and God understands that. And there's only one thing that can mend that relationship, and that's the death of Jesus on the cross, his shedding of his blood to cover your sins, so then you can be brought into a right standing with God. See, what's important about Jerusalem, where worship needed to take place, is the focus of, of what went on in the temple, and that was what? The sacrifice. Now, we know the shedding of the blood of goats and bulls did not atone for anyone's sin, but it was to point to what Christ was going to do on that very same hill 2,000 years ago. See, it was outside of that city that Christ was the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, right? He was crucified on a hill, and when he died, that temple veil ripped open this 10-foot-wide, 4-foot-thick veil was torn in two from the top down so God can say, now you have access to me through what Christ did on the cross. You don't have to try anymore. You don't have to do anymore. You just have to believe. Right? Jesus says the perfect work is to just believe in the one who was sent. And it was on that very hill that Christ gave up his life. He laid it down willingly. But then that very same hill right across the valley Is where he came back to life. Two of our folks are over there right now. They just spent a lot of money to make sure that tomb is empty. I hope they don't come back and say, bro, there's a body in there. (gasps) It's a sham. That's my favorite part of Israel is the empty tomb. We pay a lot of money to see nothing. That's what I like about it. He's not here. He's risen. He's a living God. He, he died for our fear of death. He takes away our greatest need, and that's to know we can live for eternity, and then he can clean us of all our sin. We can't, we can't come to God on our own terms. See, what happens when you try to appease God, you will get bitter. See, that was the problem in our religion growing up, as I never knew what was good enough. Right? It's like having an insecure girlfriend or boyfriend. Right? You guys know this take a you could treat a girl like garbage and take her and go she'll buy you a car i mean that's the sinful nature of the world we live in right you can manipulate people you can keep them guessing and they'll do what you you need them to do for you and that's what the church has done historically is built people for their money and for their building campaigns right to keep you on the hook to keep you guessing That's not God. God says, look what I've done for you, period. Just look at it. Just just examine what I've done for you. I've written it down in a book. You read for yourself what I've done for you. I offer salvation. You can accept it and come to heaven for eternity, or you can keep trying and be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. But when you reach for the law, when you try to be good to God, you'll just get bitter. You'll You'll get burned out. You'll get cynical. The law just breeds death. The gift of God is eternal life. Ahaz was wildly experimenting. He was trying to inject the religion of Judah with new life. He seemed to be drawn to the most lurid elements in the pagan religions around him. Like the Athenians in Acts 17 who spent their time in nothing else but either To tell or to hear some new thing. Ahaz was addicted to the lure of the sensational. You know, when a Christian departs from the word of God, they go for experiential type worship. They go for emotional type worship. They start reading books that are not the Bible, right? Christians get itching ears. They disregard the clear teaching of the Bible. And they want to hear something new. Remember, Christian, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Okay? There's no new teachings out there. There's no new thing on the block to, you know, how many books are out there? How to be a church of 200 in 200 days or, you know, whatever it may be, some technique. No, God has designed it as such. You ever ask yourself too, let's just pick on church a little bit. Why? Do, what's the whole point of church? You ever think about that? Why go to church? Why wake up early on Sunday to come hear a fat tattooed guy talk about how he used to be a drunk and now he's not? Why? Well, I hope you don't come because of that. I hope you come because of the words I'm reading, right? The idea is the church is there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? It's to equip you to do what God has called you to be and do. And the nature of that is Acts 2.42, right? We start with the apostles' doctrine, right? God wrote a book. We're going to study it. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Remember that song? So you can start with there. Let's read the instructions. You know, yesterday with our brand new used van, we spent the day driving it, reading the instruction book. Oh, it's tedious. Just to turn the DVD player on, you know. We don't like to do that, do we? Especially men, right? That's why we don't buy assembled furniture. We only buy assembled furniture. So we have the instructions, but then we have prayer. Right. The idea that we can talk to God. Right. God talks to us through his word. We can talk back. We have access to God. He just wants to hear how much we love him. Fellowship. Oh, oh, getting together. Right. Got to love people. Then there's what in that there's breaking of bread. Breaking of pizza rolls, breaking a steak, whatever. But but it goes deeper than that. There's the celebration of communion. But the idea is there's an intimacy when you when you eat with people, right? I don't like to eat out with people I don't like. Right? I like being around foodies. You know, Colin and I, oh man, we oh we always outdo each other with some goofy recipe, you know. Or we send recipes to each other. The protein burrito, bro? Holy buckets. Whew. I don't ever do that with people who eat cereal, you know. Oh, look at this box of cereal. So there's the teaching of God's word. There's prayer. There's fellowship. There's breaking of bread. And then the result is then God added daily to the number of those being saved. That's, That's the nature of the church. That's the way church is supposed to look. With Uriah, not only did he allow Ahaz to continue on in this sin, he participated in his evil and idolatrous plans. This was a dramatic contrast to the priests in the days of King Uzziah, who did all they could to restrain the madness of the king. Corrupt political leaders have almost always been able to find corrupt religious leaders to help them. Verse 17, back to our text, it says, And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the cart and removed the lavers from them. And he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a pavement of stones. Also, he removed the Sabbath pavilion, which they had built in the temple, and he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Assyria. Ahaz could not bring in his pagan corrupt innovations without also removing what had stood before at the temple. This was an ungodly exchange, taking away the good and putting in the bad. Including the king's outer entrance built the days of his father, King Jotham. Collectively, all these things serve to discourage the worship of the true God at the temple of God. I think it was A.W. Tozer said this. He says, in the book of Acts, if the Holy Spirit wasn't active, 95% of that book wouldn't have occurred. He says, in today's church, and this is the 50s, mind you. He says, if the Holy Spirit was present, 95% of what goes on in the church wouldn't occur. You know, when the Holy Spirit's not doing the work at a church, you're going to see it. They'll have no prayer meetings. They'll have fundraisers. They'll have talented people. They'll have entertainers, right? One guy says, if, if, if you're not going to feed sheep, you're going to entertain goats. People are the same. This is thousands of years ago. There's always a cost and a compromise. During these changes, Ahaz shut down the operation of the temple and established small pagan altars all around Judah, all right, like our smartphones. You look at some of these sermonettes, we call them sermonettes for Christianettes. You pull up a sermon online, it's what, 20 minutes tops? And now it's three-minute TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep going you know part of this could have been you know why he took all this down it wasn't aesthetically pleasing the simple bronze altar you remember when joshua built an altar what did god tell joshua don't carve the stones don't compete with the sacrifice right he knew men you know what we would do we'd chrome plate the altar right We'd put all sorts of curb feelers, right? You know, we, we'd make that thing have flamethrowers. You know, we would, we would trick that thing out. But it's like this. We get criticized because we're in a 100-year-old grocery store with linoleum and old carpet and holes in our ceiling. You know, some people go to church because that's the building they grew up in. There's people that will not leave the church because that's their building. Some people go to the church, again, because of the way that it looks and feels, You know, we deliberately don't use performance-oriented worship because it will draw attention from God himself. We don't want people to worship worship. That goes on in church. We don't like to, you know, look at me. I'm not eloquent. The word of God is what's doing the work, not the person saying it. But the church becomes sensual. We remember that all this took place at the temple Solomon built under the Lord. The mere location did not make it true worship. Sometimes idols are worshipped at the house that was once dedicated to the true God. Verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz rested with his fathers, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah his son reigned in his place. Ahaz is a warning to us. He could have been considered a leader from the, a church leader from the 21st century in many ways. Based on his admiration of the altar of Damascus, we can say that Ahaz was a man with an artistic sense of style. Ahaz was also impressed with technology, apparently introducing Babylonian innovation of the sundial to Jerusalem. He was in love with innovation and new things and didn't hesitate to bring these innovations into worship. At the same time, he seemed to be a nice man. He did not have the persecuting spirit of his grandson Manasseh who persecuted the prophets and the people of God. Ahaz had the advantage of many great prophets and messengers such as Isaiah and Micah. Ahaz had the blessing of a great deliverance of God. God spared Jerusalem and Judah from total defeat with the enemies of Israel and Syria came against them. Ahaz had the influence of a godly father and a godly heritage from the line of David. You look at some of the worst men in modern church in the last 30 years, look at who their dads were. Remember Francis Schaeffer? Marty, remember Francis Schaefer? You ever read his books? He had a son named Frankie. We don't talk about Frankie anymore. Chuck Smith had a son named Chuck Smith Jr. We don't talk about Chuck Jr. anymore. You look at some of these guys that were raised under godly men, and they got they were, they were men who were raised in the church, raised with godly character, and they all seemed to have a smear campaign on what their dad did and how they're not going to do it like their dad. The key was that Ahaz had no real relationship with God. He was interested in spiritual things and would even make great spiritual sacrifice, including his own kids. Yet he destroyed the link that his father Jotham made between the palace and the temple. And this was an illustration of his destroyed relationship with God. For Ahaz, it wasn't enough to have a spiritual interest and all the aforementioned advantages. Despite all this, he put his trust in himself and in a man Instead of in the living God who reigns from heaven, therefore his reign was a disaster. Probably the worst among the kings of Judah. He was possessed of much that men admire and magnify today. You Know what his name means? Possessor. But all this without good godliness is of absolutely no worth. So, what do we learn from this? God's very concerned about our worship. It's really not the method. It's the motive. And it's the fact that he initiates our worship and we respond. That's the beauty. All we need to do is see what Christ did for us. You know, if you're getting reacquainted with God or if you're at a season where you're just trying to get some things right, I encourage you, read the Gospel of John. Right? It's the big book. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's the biggest of the four. And John just tells you that Jesus was the Christ, that he was God. As you read it, pray, Lord, show me who you are. Show me what you're about. And he'll show you what he did for you. Right. If you maintain that position of what God has done for you, then you're going to respond with, man, I'm going to just live a life of thanksgiving and gratuity. Right. Keith Green once said, you know, going to church won't make you a Christian. No different than standing in McDonald's will make you a cheeseburger. Okay? There's a lot of good people that went to hell who went to church, but they never were born again. They were never saved. Right? The kingdom of God is now, the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? If you're not born again, this is where you need to get born again. Maybe you've been born again and you need to be born again again. Something needs to happen in your life to get you back on course with God. And the beauty of God is, is He just is willing to say, I knew you were going to blow it. My son and his death was significant enough to cover that sin too. But the thing is, is don't walk out of here not knowing that your relationship with God will make you sure you'll go to heaven because the car that's going to run you over is no respecter of your, your right standing with God. No one knows the day, the time, and the hour they're going to pass, right? We're all appointed to a day of death. We're all going to die on time, right? We're all going to show up to our funeral on time. It's just you don't know that. You have to be ready now. You know, if you haven't done that, talk to one of these guys. Or again, you just need prayer. You need to get on track, you know. The beauty is, guys, you know, God knows how dumb I am. Some of you guys mean, you know, you know where I went to school, right? You guys, the visitors, you know where I went to school? Motorcycle Mechanics Institute. I never went to seminary. Never went to Bible College. Went to Motorcycle Mechanics. I have a degree in Harley-Davidson and Yamaha repair, you know. (laughs) I can install impellers on personal watercraft. Ooh. (laughs) I'm a tattooist by trade you know like I'm the least qualified dude in the room to be teaching this that should give you hope God has a plan for your guys' lives but it begins at the cross you need to do that exchange you need to trade your imperfect life for his perfect life and it's an act of will It's, it's just saying Lord I submit to you I ask the Holy Spirit into my life to make me a new creation Ask someone to pray with you if you haven't done that. So with that, let's pray.